Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 273. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And today, Kip, we'll be talking a little bit about television. I, like many people, have watched an enormous amount of television during the period of quarantine and found a lot of comfort in it, have felt honestly so many cathartic emotions through the process, but also realized I don't actually talk to that many people about the TV that I'm watching, which is something I find to be strange. And yet another thing that I felt throughout this quarantine period is a little bit of shame that I'm not so much of a reader of fiction as a pastime. And so I wanted to take this time together to talk a little bit about that, about why it is that we feel guilt or shame about watching TV, but why reading is continually held up as a respectable hobby and pastime. What do we make of this discrepancy between the two? And how can we talk about TV in a way that maybe values it a little bit more? Well, first, Kathleen, I love the three C's you gave of comfort, catharsis, and conversation, or the lack thereof surrounding television watching. I also have consumed a number of shows during the pandemic, many of which I watched to pass the time, but were also long-standing on a cultural list of, quote, important TV. Breaking Bad, for example, is a show I someday will watch if I can get over what I hear are some very gruesome scenes. I'm rather squeamish and don't always deal well with visceral imagery. And I also really love this topic because there is a hierarchy of storytelling that I don't think is particularly fair. I think we elevate reading, sometimes even poetry, as the pinnacle of human expression. And then falling below that, television, many movies, which I don't think is always fair. There are absolutely artistic and impactful pieces out there. It's also really subjective. There are probably some children's movies that have gone on to radically shape the adults those children went on to become. How many of us can still vividly recall some of these songs or scenes from childhood media that we consumed? And then, in my mind, towards the bottom of some people's lists are video games. And what I think is interesting is that at either end of this half-pipe image in my mind, an upside-down parabola, we have an accessibility barrier. With video games, you need certain reflexes and knowledge of the gaming controller or the mechanics of a video game to progress that story. And with reading, obviously, if you are illiterate or not familiar with certain vocabulary, maybe even a new language or mixture of languages, you won't be able to understand what's going on. I'd even add an additional barrier in reading, especially true in poetry, that if you don't understand certain themes or references, it's entirely lost on you. And then in my mind, in the middle, we have many television shows which explain themselves clearly in an episode, you know what's going on, and the characters are either archetypes you already know or give clear exposition to who they are and what their motivations are. And it's curious to me, in a way that reminds me of certain capitalist philosophies, that we value some things simply because of their rarity. And as a result, what is common must be lacking in value. And yet I would point to air, water, sunlight, other natural resources that are incredibly valuable, but that many of us, especially those of privilege, don't think about with great value. And I wonder if we extend that thinking to television shows. They're so accessible, we think, that they can't possibly be great stories or meaningful. How many of our English teachers growing up told us that the Harry Potter books might be great entertainment, but aren't great literature? 
And yet I would say, current controversies with J.K. Rowling aside, look at how many people that fictitious world impacted. I think a lot of television shows are quite the same. And I'm looking forward to getting into specifics with you. Well, first off, I just want to say I'm so glad that you bring up this fact of accessibility or inaccessibility. As I was ruminating and reflecting a bit with this topic, I came to realize that there's got to be at least a little bit of underlying classism going on with our obsession with reading. Along those lines, I think there's a commentary relating to labor as well. There's an idea that there's a kind of work with reading, even if it is imaginative, that we have to create this world, that it's a more creative process than TV, which offers us the visual stimulation in addition to the story. I think it comes back to what you had to say regarding value and where we place our value, that there's something common about TV and that there's a simplicity to TV, which only prevents us, in my opinion, from actually understanding the depths that it offers, that there is a creative potential to imagine. I'm reminded of the many times that in television, because of its compressed format, we don't always get to bear witness to certain conversations. We only get to see the exposition before we're shuttled off to another scene. And there is this imaginative work then of what was the conversation? How did it go? In addition, the different shots offer us perspective. They allow us to embody these characters, embody these views, to see differently in a similar way that reading offers us. I think that the difference between them isn't as vast an expanse as we're often taught to believe. And beyond that, even though, as you point out, television offers us a simplicity in terms of archetypal structure, a story that's very clearly laid out, television also, similarly to cinema, has a lot of room for analysis that just doesn't happen. It's a form of art, and we don't give it that credit. We don't take into account the teams that work on this, from cinematography to directorial work and staging. But it's all there. Right now, for example, I'm watching Friday Night Lights for the first time. Before now, I never really felt a real interest in watching it, mostly because it was about football. I'm not someone who's into sports. But watching this show, I'm realizing, as much as this show is about football, it's really not about football at all. It's showing me the cultural experience of what sports is, the different dimensions of what it means to a town and to a people, to individuals, how it's intertwined with class and race and gender, and the complexities of what it means to live in community with one another. It's giving me a whole new appreciation for what sports meant to my brother and the emotions I saw him feel after games, whether they won or lost, but never quite understood, or on a national scale, how it formulates these identities that we carry. And this is kind of what I mean when I say in the introduction, how strange it is that we don't talk about television, that there is this room for conversation, what it means, what a character's intentions were. These shows are far more complicated than they appear on the surface. They're more than just moving images on a screen. And we should give TV that credit. With that reference to complication, you bring me to a subtopic of TV that I often think about, which is anime. And for those who aren't as familiar, this category of television shows really just means animated television shows. So while there are American examples like Avatar The Last Airbender that we can come back to, there are also Japanese examples. Some common and popular ones might be Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, or a current favorite of mine and many people around the world, Attack on Titan. And what I think is so impressive and complex about these shows is that many of them are adapted from essentially Japanese comics or manga, and as a result, the directors and animators of these shows have to take still images and conceive of what moving and fluid imagery would look like. And what's impressive and beautiful to me about Attack on Titan are the acrobatics in the show. The characters have mechanical grappling machinery that allows them to swing around landscapes 
similar to Spider-Man. And so frankly, watching this show on mute, aside from the dialogue scenes, is a visual treat. And to your point about cinematography, Kathleen, I think the image composition of television is often highly underrated, and a lot of time is dedicated to how that all plays out. And frankly, with reference to anime, I think about a common thread related to the downplaying or judgment of television, which is that you can select any number of elements in any given show as a reason to dismiss it entirely. You could say that the Bachelor franchise doesn't adequately represent healthy romances or the nuances of relationships, and I'd likely agree with you on that point as someone who's seen a few seasons, but the communal experience I've had with other friends, frankly, gossiping about these reality show stars and the experiences that they're both having and are also clearly being edited around in post, there's comedic and social value in that. Are there examples of anime that bring up sexuality in uncomfortable or inappropriate circumstances from a Western lens? Absolutely. That doesn't take away from the fact in my mind that the voice acting, musical scoring, and again, animation ability are all really impressive and worth commending for their own artistic merits. I think television, unlike literature, has so many different axes from which we can judge it. And if you make a mistake on one, then the most cynical viewer can pounce on it. Whereas reading, you only really have your word choice and the order of words you chose to use. I'm not trying to minimize the aspect of writing or literature. This English major wouldn't do that. But I do feel like the accessibility of TV encourages a lot of judgment, perhaps similar to a very audio-based medium that has millions of shows published for free. Quality and ubiquity are not always synonymous, but they're not always mutually exclusive, and often there are diamonds in the rough. Part of the extreme value of the accessibility of television lies in the fact that, as you point to, it is this communal experience. So often we watch TV together, we gather around the screen, and as much as it makes me uncomfortable, it is kind of the hearth of the American home, in the same way that the radio used to be. Compared to reading, you know, the last time that I've really read out loud with another person was when I was a child. But there have been many nights in my young adulthood where I'll cuddle up on the couch with my mom and watch Bob's Burgers. Now alone in a different city far away from my parents, watching Bob's Burgers alone in my bed has been a place that I found real comfort. It reminds me of being home. It brings me back there. In the same way that now reflecting on all of these different television shows I've watched over the past year have really come to mark a kind of rhythm or tempo to my life. When I think back to those TV shows, I also think back to where I was in my life, my own emotional states when I was watching the German show Dark, how the darkness of that show both formed my life and reflected it in my environmental anxieties, in my loneliness, and my other fears. Or how other shows like Schitt's Creek, with this very idealized vision of the ways in which a small town overcomes the tensions of wealth, offered a kind of escape which once again comforted me amidst a lot of national and personal turmoil. And that's something, too, that I'd like to hear your thoughts on, Kip. The role of TV as a kind of escape. That's often a reason that television is critiqued. But does it always have to be so bad? I think that's a really great question. It's one I thought a lot about during COVID, because I suspect that part of the misery and agony of being locked inside and forced to wait is that you can't do much aside from waiting. There's the sense of not accomplishing anything or putting something tangible or meaningful out into the world. 
And I personally felt that a lot as I chose to take a hiatus from this podcast, something I've been proud to produce. But I also think there's a time when escape is really valuable. There are a couple of people I know personally who are grieving as we record this episode. And I think similar to the agonizing and unprecedented experience of going through a global pandemic, there isn't necessarily much you can do in the productive sense. It's sort of like coughing, but no phlegm comes up. You just have to do it sometimes to continue to persist, to move forward, and trust that time will be helpful. And so I think escapism, so long as we're aware of it and it doesn't become an addiction or a vice, to me, can actually be quite healthy. There's even a part of me that felt a sense of accomplishment in watching a show on Netflix, let's say, and watching my completion of that show, of its particular seasons, clock up as I work my way through individual episodes. And so I think there's a certain merit to it. I've actually been very grateful, and hope I'm not jinxing anything, that during this pandemic, I haven't seen a ton of television content made about the pandemic. I think it's actually too soon, and that it would just be aggravating and frustrating if that's what we were forced to consume right now. And in addition to escapism, I also think television reveals another form of value to us. And I wrote down here, I'm valuable because of my ability to connect. I think that's true of everyone listening to my voice or even people who haven't heard that exact sentence before. Human beings are amazing at drawing connections, both with other living beings and with ideas, with art. And so while it may not be tangible, there are clearly television shows that have impacted us. I remember a peer of mine in high school giving a presentation on Friends, the famous sitcom, and remarking that there were times where she actually felt that those characters, the six of the ensemble on screen, were actually her friends. And she qualified it and said that she hoped it didn't sound pathetic, but it makes a lot of sense. It is a type of parasocial relationship, and one that, so long as we're self-aware, I don't actually think is a danger, and could even be an asset to us reinforcing our ability to feel what others feel and think about what others are going through, even if they're fictitious. That last point you bring up really reminds me of an experience I had recently watching an episode of Friday Night Lights. And I'll put here a little spoiler alert in case anybody else is watching the show right now. But there's a moment where Tammy, who is the guidance counselor of the school and the football team that the show focuses on, is having a conversation with her 15-year-old daughter. She was at the store and she witnessed her daughter's boyfriend buying condoms and, you know, comes home and has this conversation with her daughter. And Tammy is very upset. She thinks her daughter's too young. You can see the pain in her body as she talks to her daughter and tries to express her concern. The actress conveys this emotion with such a viscerality that I felt it myself, too. It had me actively thinking, what is it like to be a mother watching her daughter grow in this way? to come into womanhood, to discover their own sexuality. It made me think about my own relationship with my mom, to think about how difficult that must be for any mother, but for mine as well. Which is all to say that these shows change us, or at least they have the potential to. They can expand our horizons to imagine ourselves as different people, sometimes better people, and sometimes as worse people, which is just another way in which we can humanize those people that we often condemn or consider bad. I do believe that television is a kind of hypersensual experience in a way that reading isn't, that we do have this visual component. We as humans are in many ways visual creatures, and because of that, feel television deeply. 
I know from my own experience, watching a lot of these shows has allowed me to feel those feelings and to work through them, to process my emotions that are happening both in response to these shows, but also just more generally in life. In some ways, even though it does serve as an escape, it also works as a kind of coming back to my body in that I can feel the ways that I'm responding to the world, even if in this case, it's a world I'm not actually a part of. There's so much of what you said that I really love, especially how deeply television can make us feel. And I also love your remark that it can bring us back to ourselves and also cause us to reflect on our relationships and our lives in general. And one really prominent example comes to my mind when a friend of mine and a fellow fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine pointed me towards an episode she really thought I would enjoy. Now, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for those who don't know, is a comedy with somewhat of a cult following, starring Andy Samberg, Terry Crews, and other wonderful actors. And it follows the work and at times hijinks of a police and detective unit in New York. And this particular episode was produced after the Me Too movement and didn't focus as heavily on sexual assault, but did talk about sexual harassment in the workplace. And two of the main characters had a sincere conversation about the issue. And what was meaningful to me is that the viewer had two different states of knowledge represented. The jokey and often immature Jake Peralta, who importantly comes from a straight white male perspective in this conversation, and his partner, Amy Santiago, who is telling Jake in this scene about some of her experiences and educating him, similar to the audience. And what was so striking about this episode, as my friend was spot on in recommending I view closely, is that it occurred in a comedic show. I think sitcoms actually have a profound capacity to touch us in this way because they represent a certain line of growing up. In childhood, many, I hope most of us, start from a state of play. We're not working towards anything. We don't necessarily have goals. We're sort of here and present, again, ideally, enjoying life. I think that's what a lot of comedy is. There are points it makes, but so much of it comes from a playful perspective. And as we grow up, we become more serious. We have more responsibilities. We take on more tasks. And of course, a common opposite to play, work. And so I loved that this comedic show wasn't afraid to touch on a serious issue. While some may disagree with how it was handled, I really admired the effort made at all. And I know that the producers of the show as of our recording right now, Kathleen, in 2021, intend to address issues of race and police brutality, given the protests and awareness that many of the American public came to in 2020. And I, for one, am eager to see how they tackle it. I really appreciate you bringing up that example, and it's something that definitely resonates with me in terms of different comedy series that I've watched and once again, I think is a testament to the value of television in particular, because it does rely so much on aesthetics in a way that once again, while books have their themes and their styles in and of itself, it doesn't work in that same way. There isn't that visual composition that upon its breakage has the potential to hit us in the same way. And of course, none of this is to say that books aren't immersive, but this is my attempt to stand up for TV a little bit. And hopefully to help us all think about it a little bit more as a dynamic thing, a dynamic part of our lives, something that's worth talking about when we're calling our friends and giving our general life updates to toss in what show we've been watching, how it makes us feel and why it's important to us right now, especially when many of us are binging it. It takes up so much of our time that it's wild to me that we don't talk about it as much as we do other things. 
I think I've often spoken about TV with acquaintances as a kind of get-to-know-you question, because what we watch does say something about who we are or what we're interested in. But as we change, the shows that we watch change with us. We check out new series, we become immersed in new worlds, and we return to old ones. And to me, that's a way to continue to know someone, and that often tells us a lot more than their job, or where they went to school, or their hobbies. And Kip, as we close, do you have any last thoughts? I absolutely do. And I think there's so much to talk about with relationship to TV. And there are at least two future episodes I could envision. One, a discussion of the binging phenomenon. And secondly, a discussion of the cultural classics, the shows that nearly everyone has watched. For example, Seinfeld, Friends, more recently, Game of Thrones, despite its controversial final season. These are things that I find really fascinating in their role as a modern mythology, if you will. People get those references if they've seen those shows, and oddballs like myself have not necessarily. And I always wonder what cultural vocabulary I'm therefore missing out on. I'd leave the audience with a list of some of my favorite TV shows, and I'm curious to know what the mosaic might say about me. It's not an exhaustive list, and I'd of course love to hear from any of you what some of your favorite shows have been. And so to give some of the items from that list, as I know I'm going to remember others later, I have Lost, Attack on Titan, Avatar The Last Airbender, Community, Naruto, Assassination Classroom, Boy Meets World, and Phineas and Ferb. Similar to you, Kip, I'm just left wondering what people's favorite shows are right now, what they recommend I watch, and also what they recommend I don't watch. Why they hate shows and why they love them is something I'm always interested to hear. Among some of the shows that I've watched lately that have been particularly impactful for me are Dark, Fleabag is incredible, I've watched The Newsroom about four times through, Shrill, Rami, Broad City, and The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, just to name a few that are coming to me right now. And of course, there are many, many more hidden away somewhere in my brain. And as a truly final thought, I'd love to know from you, the audience, if you would ever be interested in a stride and saunter style review or discussion of a singular TV show, or perhaps a singular TV show season. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between, because we're definitely not the only two people who've ever watched and enjoyed television. So we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media and also via email at strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation. <laughs>